1: Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network
2: is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery, like McKenna, brings a top-tier lineup. With Leaf Davis-esque delivery right to your door, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win, order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only by app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. With the dust now settled on ITFC's 21-22 season,
0: the pod team, or some of the pod team, have regrouped for a look back on the campaign just gone. Welcome to the Blue Monday podcast. Hello and welcome to the Blue Monday podcast, discussing the town up or down since 2015. I'm Richard Woodward and you're tuned in to the 21-22 season review flagship show special available weekly on podcast and video during the season and whenever we can be bothered in the off-season. The the members of the pod team who managed to reboot their laptops that have been sat there idle for two weeks, um, fresh off the plane and resplendent in a very mediterranean tan joseph fairs we'll talk to you about that in a second and more yeah more you've been around the uk a little bit more so less less resplendent in tan but still looking smiley and happy nevertheless seb brown good to see you guys um and yeah joe let's start with you you've had quite a long weekend haven't you tell us what you mean
3: Yes, um, it was my mother-in-law's 60th on Friday. So it was a a family trip to Rome, but I managed to negotiate a pass to Roma v Venezia last night. So I managed to toddle off there while they actually, we were staying in the Vatican City. So they went down there for some candles and the Pope actually gave a mass to them. So they they got to see the Pope from fairly close range while I was watching, rather than the Holy One, I was watching the special one on the sideline. Jose Mourinho at his best triple substitution at half time um pulling pull players out of position total change of formations but they were only able to draw 1-1 against Venezia last night after going behind after 45 seconds they had they did have 45 shots on goal hit the hit the crossbar four times had 20 corners and it was an absolute relentless game of football and there's probably one thing like the atmosphere was absolutely incredible I don't know if anyone's been to Rome or I don't know if it's like that every week but it was sensational like I've, it's all, almost been one of those football fanboys that I've was sitting on the plane watching back the videos of the sort of pre-match build-up that I'd taken on my phone because it was just such a so much noise so much color flags going everywhere anthem singing right into it unfortunately for them though after sort of a 20-minute anthem leading into kickoff they were behind before the anthem had even finished at the start of the game (laughs) but no it was an incredible experience and uh, yeah I absolutely loved it where normally I'm a little bit cynical going to these places when you sort of see the atmosphere but no it was great and some ex-ITFC interests yeah Ainsley Maitland-Niles started for Roma he did get the hook at half time as part of the um triple sub that Jose made and it was a interesting like I said that Vinicius also had someone sent off to 29 minutes. He was already on a yellow card and decided to boot someone in the groin area right. and got picked up on VAR at the end of it. And he got a red as well. It was a game that had everything. And there was one thing that I think I might even contact the club about there for because they were so on top in a game where Vinicius were happy to try and spoil to stay in front for most of it. The ball boys were unbelievable that the speed the ball was getting back into play when um the ball was going out it was like they were sprinting around multi-ball the coaching staff the subs were all around just making sure that there was no time waste to putting the ball out of play so maybe that's something that when we're looking for every edge we can get we've seen teams come to Portman road and frustrate and we have these ball boys come in and often they're just a team that come and sit there and they, they might do one game a season they're not they're, they're not well trained i know it was something that. Pep Guardiola did against Atletico yeah. Madrid. They had the ball boys trained up to make sure that Atletico just couldn't waste time. I know it's a bit easy with a big athletics track around the ground, but we we do need to make sure we can get every advantage we can get at home at Portman Road next year because no one's going to be coming here to try and give us a game of football next season, are they?
0: No, well, that, yeah, I've I noted that Pep had done that, and I'm pretty certain that everyone at the club when that was tweeted out as well. So there you go, Joe, Joe's Joe scouting for competitive advantage for us in the off season. That's that's the kind of commitment that we've got on the pod. Um, said what have you? What have you been up to?
4: Uh, nowhere near as exotic as Joe. I ventured as far as Liverpool with you midweek to go and see Stratagem, the uh, the Alan Partridge show. And yeah, I guess we've learned lessons from that that we'll take forward with the podcast with regards to business bingo and buzzwords and no it was it was a good night out wasn't it but but nowhere near as exotic or as adventurous as joe
0: can we play foot golf the next day where you can talk about that
4: we did yes i beat you to be at room 101 sliding doors or foot golf the result is always the same uh it was quite close i really messed it up on the last hole didn't i but i still won by one overall and you observed that my long game wasn't brilliant but apparently my short game is quite decent whatever that means i don't really understand what it meant at the time when
0: I yeah i mean they allowed me to go into golf nerdism a little bit and um Get out the old um, golf chat. But yeah, Seb beat me on. Was it one shot victory in the end? Yeah, it was, it
4: was six, wasn't it, going into the final hole? And I really I messed up. absolute meltdown. Yeah, still won by one, thankfully.
0: So I think I think that feels like an activity that the whole pod team needs to get involved at some point. But um, Seb's got form, so watch out for Seb the Shark when it comes to foot golf. Now, what we're going to do tonight is we will look back on the 21-22 campaign. I usually we kind of we do these in detail. Sometimes they are kind of double bubble episodes. I don't think we're going to give this season that much respect. Uh, we will um go into certain key aspects. We'll obviously reflect on Paul Cook's tenure, um the the commencement of um Kieran McKenna's tenure. We'll talk about signings, we'll talk about matches, and then we'll kind of catch up on where we are in terms of personnel and and bits of news going into the new season and then we'll start to look ahead to that so that is the format guys I haven't got any wooey wooey bits and pieces but I kind of feel like I just need one so let's, let's just put one in for the sake of it so let me take you back to this time. Oh, the shirt's gone, Joe. <laughs> Perfect timing. It was almost like the woo-wee-woo-wee. Woo-wee <laughs> yeah. for, for those of you who are listening, um, rather than watching on YouTube, Joe had strategically placed some shirts behind him, and it wasn't particularly robust. No, they really
3: put up with blue tack just to sort of test new landing spots for them to see where I actually want to put them long-term. And a George Edmondson shirt had come down in the pre-pod build-up, and... The Macaulay Bond shirt has come down as well. Symbolic,
0: but well, there you and perfectly timed with our bumpers. So there you go. So yeah, let me rewind back a year, a year or so, and I, th- I think probably the first, the place I want to start really, knowing where the where Paul Cook's tenure is going to end up by um, November. This time last year, we were he was presiding over the demolition of. Paul Lambert's squad and what had been you know Paul Hurst's squad and a little bit Mick McCarthy's squad. Joe you were quite outspoken about that possibly being excessive and do you f- still feel that way I guess knowing where some of that demo- demolished squad have ended up and how their seasons have panned out nevertheless do you still feel the same about that being over too too much
3: yeah um without a doubt it was, was for me. It was unnecessary to go as far as, as he went, and in a manner in which he went as well, though because it, it wasn't it, it wasn't just how many people left. It was the fact that how badly they were treated as they left. That then there were certain players, and I'm not saying someone like Guion Edwards is someone that we particularly what would have been a great player for us. as he? He hasn't done a huge amount at Wigan, but he was a player that didn't sign a contract because of the way his sort of colleagues were treated. He a player that we. Sort of offered a two-year contract to, and decided not to keep him. Yeah, that probably worked out in our favour because he d- he hasn't pulled up any trees since. And maybe he wasn't good enough, but it was just it was just unnecessary. There was there was always, as I sort of said numerous times, there was always going to be a clear out at the end of last season. We we had twenty players out of contract at the end of last season, so it it was always there was always going to be a big turnover of players. But there was for me there was an element of needing to keep a spine of a squad together, not a. Maybe not all starters, but there were was, was certain players in there that were sort of binned off for real for no real good reason for me. I know Andre De Selle had a release clause. Flynn Downs said he wanted to go, but we later heard from Kieran Dyer that, that him and Brian Kluger talked him around and wanted to stay. So, who's, Flynn Downs has been brilliant for Swansea in the Championship this year. You've got even players like sort of, Teddy Bishop, who's done fine at Lincoln. Could he have done fine here? James Wilson at Plymouth, who is Cameron Burgess really any better than had we had James Wilson at the start of the season rather than going in with Toto Encialla at the start, would we have been better off in those first six games where we dropped a huge amount of points and realistically cost ourselves any shot of the playoffs at that point? It, ju- it just seemed totally unnecessary. I think it was done as a sort of lack of class in the, in the way it was handled by Paul Cook and, and I'd say a, We'd never get the answer from Mark Ashton, but I'd love to know what Mark Ashton thought with regards to the job he was walking into. Because by the time he came to the job, these players were already out the door because of the way it had been handled over the end of the season. And so we're going to talk about twenty-one, twenty-two, this tonight, but twenty-twenty-one from when Cook came in. I think it's seen it as a huge missed opportunity for promotion with that squad. Because we had 16 games to go, and we had to play AFC Wimbledon twice, Northampton, Bristol Rovers, Swindon, Rochdale. We we played all the bottom teams, the teams that we had beaten pretty comfortably under Paul Lambert in the ho- in the whole time we he was here. That really wasn't our issue, and we only need to pick up five more points than we did under Paul Cook, and just to get to the top six. Were we good enough to go up? Probably not, but would does that matter? No. And then a missed opportunity last year had alarm bells ringing for me. The way that he was handling it had alarm bells ringing for me, and ultimately, it turned out to be the case that we just we just wasted this season because we because we went too strong last season. This season was over before it started.
0: So obviously, the the wider context for the the mass accidents and players coming in and, and you know nineteen and odd signings um, last season. Um, is the is the commencement of the game changer era? To Joe's point there, if if Mark Ashton comes in earlier in the year, obviously he joins in the summer, and and potentially he's maybe making secret signals to people at Portman Road as to what he wants to happen on day one. But is is the timing maybe a problem here? Or and in, in, in terms of the. Um, the turnaround in players. Do you think we upgraded the squad based on the players who went out and then those who came in?
4: I think, yeah. I mean, I, I agree, 19, 20 out, 19 in was, was far too many. There needed to be a complete culture reset and there needed to be kind of a, a raising of the standards. That said, I seem to remember an interview with, was it Morsey, probably October, November time, where he said, there's no leaders here. You know, we've got to take it upon, or maybe it was a Luco. We've got to take it upon ourselves and become leaders all over again and stuff. And we had people in the building who could have sort of, you know, facilitated that bridge from the old era to the new era. And And, and for me, that's kind of, what, what should have been done. I think we'd all sit here and agree that the squad is in a much, much better place now in terms of quality than it probably was 12 months ago. Uh, it's still a, a relatively big squad, you know, Paul Cook came in and said, "I need a, a smaller squad for next year," and then went and got the exact same number of players back in. And I guess the, the, the bad start we had meant we went out and got the likes of Walton and Morsey and Selena very later in the window, which I guess was kind of reactive to the to the poor start we had. But I just think Cook could have managed the whole situation better. Okay, Ashton's not in the building, <clears throat> but O'Leary's here, and I guess they were seeing to you know a new a new era. They want to back their back to the new manager, et cetera. But I, I think a firmer hand on the shoulder could have been used to maybe say, look, this is a huge, huge cultural reset we're going through. I mean, how many clubs change the owner, the manager, the coaching team and the entire squad in the space of three or four months? You know, you need that kind of bridge from the old to the new. And like Joe said, it was a, a massive missed opportunity, I think.
0: And in terms of the players that have have come in and well, I'll, ask, I'll ask both of you guys these questions. Who, who was the best signing for you? Who, who was maybe the one you were most disappointed with?
3: Best best signing for me, I'd probably say Christian Walton because I think, he's, I think Wes Burns has been brilliant and he was my vote for player of the year and everything like that. I think he deservedly swept the board and has been a superb player for us this year. But for me, I think Christian Walton signing the keeper who can, is going to be our number one for the next, well, three, four, five years. Potentially, and getting him through the door, and it's just such a calming influence at the back. I know, I know he's only been in League One, but he looks a, a brilliant keeper. And like I say, since since Bart left, we haven't really had a good enough keeper, have we? And Bart was sort of the first keeper in a long time who'd been good for a consistently long period of time as well, for, probably since Kelvin Davis before that, and Richard Wright before that. So there's there's been there's been an area that we've struggled with over the years, and I think that having Christian Walton in there. I I don't don't know. It just feels a really, really safe pair of hands.
4: I agree with Walton, but also a nod to Connor Chaplin. Um, I think he really started to come good towards the end of the season. I like the way he's got involved with the community stuff off the pitch. You see him at the under-18s games. You see him at the ITFC women games. I really feel he's got that whole kind of buy, and I think he'll be a really important player going forward either. you know He's, he's got to retrain in his new role from what he was playing previously at Barnsley, uh, but I think he was a, a decent signing. I think he got, was it, nine, ten goals overall, maybe 11, including the... EFL trophy in the Cup games, that's a really good return for a first season for a player that didn't start that much. And uh, I think he'll be a big part of the puzzle next year.
0: Probably m- most the most formed player towards the end of the season as well. Um, some, you know, certainly some good performances in there. What about disappointments? I, I mean, I'm i going to chuck in Scott Fraser because no, no one else probably will, <laughs> but I was really hoping that Scott Fraser was going to suddenly Burst into life, and that never really happened. Um,
4: For me, it's got what- to be Joe Joe Pigott. I, I thought he was going to be the main man. I thought he'd be getting us twenty twenty two goals a season, and be the you know the focal point, dropping deep, bringing others into play. But he just never got going, didn't he? You know, he had some off field stuff. Never really got that consistent run of games, but the more you sort of saw him towards the end of the season, you just kind of felt sorry for him because, you know, even when he's dropping deep and trying to take a touch, the ball is bouncing off him and it just didn't work for him at all. But he was the one when I thought in the summer we got him, I thought, oh, that's that's quite a big signing. That's probably going to solve most of our goal scoring problems.
0: Do Do you think he'll be here next season?
4: I think it might be just simply given the fact of the the wage that he's on, he's not going to be that easy to shift. I'm presuming it was a three year deal he signed, so you're looking at two more deals on you know pretty decent money. It's going to be either be a loan out uh, or used as part of a you know part of a player exchange kind of program. But McKenna might want to give him preseason to see what he can do. You know he's got form at this level, he's got pedigree. I guess you've got to hope that he goes away for the summer, regroups a little bit, comes back. But having seen what McKenna likes with pacey, athletic strikers, you know who can lead the press from the front, I'm not sure he's going to fit in.
3: Joe? Yeah, Joe Piggott obviously has been very disappointing. I think Vassilov after coming in with the sort of season he had last year for Salford, how highly rated he was there, how highly rated he was before that. It's just, and he just really, really struggled. And I think we won't see any more of him in the lipstick shirt. I, I'm almost certain he'll be off this summer. And I don't know, even like for me, I know he's sort of played a bit better at the end of the season, but someone like Cameron Burgess for 750000 on a four-year contract obviously alongside that you're gonna be earning good wages for this level. I just I just don't think he's I don't think he's an improvement on James Wilson was, for example. And we had James Wilson in the building we could have retained him much more, much more easily than sort of giving Cameron Burgess that sort of contract.
0: What about Louis Barry as well?
3: Almost forgetting about him, don't you?
0: I know. (laughs) I mean, in terms of fanfare, I mean I I always reflect on um, the goal against Liverpool in the FA Youth Cup. was it actual FA Cup?
3: FA Cup was really yeah,
0: yeah, it was when Liverpool had their um, players um, involved in two cup competitions in the same week. And yeah, I mean, it's one of those ones where maybe the player is overhyped. Maybe the reality of first team football is, is different at this level. Or maybe it's just the dysfunction of being around our squad at the time. But he never really blew into life. And he's, I think he's done slightly better at Swindon at a level down, but...
3: Yeah, that, yeah, I think um sort of in fairness to Barry there was he didn't really he didn't really play much he, he just sort of True. fell by the way so yeah it. he played in one um I think like an EFL, EFL trophy game and he was That's quite fine, poor yeah. in that we didn't really see him right. again and there was a interview in the Birmingham mail with him where he they were talking about how he still learned a lot from the loan spell and it wasn't a bad loan spell it just didn't work out on the pitch and they said he'd had really bad dental issues one week and had tried to play and it hadn't he'd just been in too much pain to play and shouldn't have played. And then he then had missed some time because of that. And it just, it it just didn't work out for him, but it seems like he, I don't know that it it was a spell that both clubs were happy enough with, if that makes sense. It wasn't what Aston Villa wanted necessarily on the pitch, but it got him off the pitch what he needed. And, and he's sort of gone on to supplement that Swindon and he just, he just fell by the wayside for us because we ended up, Sonny Luco became available, Connor Chaplin became available, and he just fell down the pecking order, really. And yeah. we had a manager that was sort of flashing around trying to find a formula that worked and unsuccessful. Yeah, figure out his best team. I think Burson and Selina, they didn't think we'd be signing him, did they? So you've got Aluko and Selina on top of him without those two, he probably plays quite a few more minutes, doesn't he?
0: Yeah, I think that's yeah, it's a fair shout that definitely.
4: The other disappointment just to come on to, sorry, for me, also probably Hayden Colson, because we saw examples, you know, that ball he put in for Bonn was a lovely, a lovely cross from the the left back position. If he'd have stayed fit and kind of made that position his own and been like, you know, another another avenue to the the right side, that could have made a big difference to our season as well.
0: Yeah, let's let's talk about let's drill into the the two halves of the season essentially under Cook and McKenna. Cook's in charge for 22 of the the 46 games. He'll win seven of those, draw seven of those, lose eight, end up with a goal difference of four, and contribute 40% of our 70 points with 28 points per game, 1.27. I mean, th- th- this is just... And there's there's so many false dawns in this first um, half of the season under Cook. And as Joe said, the context, I know some people, you always get the divisive nature of debating um, football managers. Some people are willing to give Cook the benefit of the doubt when it came to the previous end of the campaign. But I think something that becomes wider context when the start of the season just goes so poorly. Uh, uh, Scrape a last-minute draw against Morecambe, defeat to Burton, defeat to Cheltenham, um, defeat to... uh, uh, sorry, then two draws against MK Dons and AFC Wimbledon. It was it wasn't a great start, was it? Seb, you were at Cheltenham. Um, a, a, a kind of story for the maybe the Paul Cook this half the season on Cook in that took the lead early, scored, yeah. and then just couldn't defend for anything. And then the it's, it's step pieces and long throws, isn't it?
4: And it was a sign of the lack of in-game management because in that game we scored first half. Matt Penny scores a, a good goal. Second half, we get absolutely bombarded with long throws, but nothing changes in game. You know, he didn't make a single change to to counteract that that fact. We looked, we didn't look fit. I didn't think, certainly for the Cheltenham game, and probably for most of August. You know, it got to sixty minutes. and You had players blowing, and I remember he came out and said, "You don't want to be making fullback subs because you know your, your fullback can't last past sixty minutes." And everything just seemed to. To be sort of, you know, it was a poor start, and everything just kind of seemed to be getting almost uh, alarm bells were ringing, given the poor the poor end we had to last season. Because I mean, we you know we threw goals away. They were making individual mistakes. I remember Wolfenden against Morecambe, uh, was it Leavens the back pass against MK Dons, I think, two 0 up to AFC Wimbledon, and then. Was it, a, we let the guy have two headers from set pieces and he scores one of them right at the end. And it was the lack of changing anything in game that was really starting to concern me. And then you get this kind of petulance where Paul Cook won't shake our players' hands when they leave the pitch. He did it at Cheltenham. You know, he shakes the opposition's hand, but he won't acknowledge the Ipswich players. And even that early on the season, I started to get a bit worried and started to think, you know, is this, is this necessarily the guy for us?
0: Into September, Joe, and the, the G word keeps cropping up, the word gel. There is a chastening defeat to Bolton in here. And then there's a 6 0 victory over, uh, seemed to be, well, never to be relegated, Doncaster. So they were probably the, the worst team we've seen this season. Um, the first defeat comes finally away at Lincoln. But the G word keeps cropping up, doesn't it? And, and there was an element of truth in it because of the number of players that we've talked about. But this dysfunction that Seb's talking about is, is ever present and the rotation as well. Um, did you get any confidence out of the run of games
3: here? Not massively. I think it was more just a... You sort of hoped it was working rather than rather than it looked like it was working. You sort of were looking for any positives. Oh, we were playing well. We were doing this well. But realistically, we were just shipping goals at an alarming rate. We we could, we could just couldn't defend, really, at all. And it was the same issues. And I think it was when we played Bolton, it was a real, real chastening defeat that they just put Affle in behind... Vincent Young. Vincent Young was having to go forward because that's what he's instructed to do. Harper wasn't covering him very well. Atholane was causing problems. Vincent Young could have easily been sent off within that first half hour, but was substituted after giving away a penalty and having already been booked for a bad tackle. They, they just had to get him off to protect him. But he was just in... It was just... It was such a disorganised disorganized mess. And it just felt like... After what we'd seen the previous season, I was just I just was struggling to find any real positives in it. Like, we, like I say, we scored a few more goals, but it's, we were so loose defensively and you're not, you, you can't get promoted when you're that loose defensively. And I say, Haladki made the error at Wimbledon at the end, but we'd given the same guy two or three free headers at the back post. And yeah, he spilled one of them, but there was there seemed like nothing was being done to stop anything at source. We were just letting things happen. And then when they went wrong, just throwing our hands up in the air rather than actually trying to stop these things happening. And, it was just i don't know it just felt that there there were very few positive changes being made
0: and even Doncaster there were moments particularly in the second half and middle of the game is a bit gone where we were being dominated on the ball by Doncaster um and then said we've we've go from a 6-0 win on the tuesday to defeat at crinton on yeah. on the saturday and this kind of up and down or you know chaotic form just means,
3: in, again it was when we'd gone one nil up
4: as well yeah we were winning weren't we yeah Mark uh, Macaulay Bond scored and we, we were winning and you know it was just so up and down there was no consistency to the form whatsoever we all kind of thought okay we've we've, we've battered Doncaster 6-0 and I guess that will now be a sign that you know they started to the gel word we've kind of moved on from this position that can be our landing board and look to launch a, a decent campaign but you know Atkinson away was one of the worst performances of the season after you know our strongest one so far in the campaign and when you saw Cook on his own you know standing out there on the on the touchline you know he's got an inexperienced coaching team with franny Jeffersy and craney and and the like you know he seems to be almost devoid of ideas and you're starting to think well it's it's even if you know automatic is definitely gone and it's going to need a hell of a run i think we were on 10 points after the accrington game and you're starting to think you know even even the playoffs now are going to be out of sight in the not too distant future
0: i was going to ask you about that the we we've, we've we'll talk about where we finished up, but the points dropped here. The big one for me, um, the the alarm bells were ringing even more, was the Cambridge draw from two 0 up to two all there. Is that where
4: came out and said, "I don't shut up shop"? That, that was that. Yeah, one, wasn't we it? talked about that the yeah. like
0: pre-match a few weeks, by, do not we? Yeah, and uh, yeah, and game
3: game management, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. We were, I like to say, I don't know if you guys, I was there that day, and it was. You could see it was coming. It was just coming. It was coming. It was coming. We made a change, and I think the change we made was something like we brought on and Salina for Sonia Lucco or stuff like that, and just tried. To, and it's like you've got you've got to try and stop the tide here, but he was so wedded to that four two three one that. It just it just didn't work. And there was there was sort of all this talk like I'm, this is my formation, this is what I want players to play. But then you ended up with someone like Junoy Dunash in a right back and so well, he's he's not a flying wing back, is he? He's he's a full back. So you ended up going from a position where you wanted to have two centre backs, two midfielders sitting and everyone bombing on past them to four defenders sitting, two midfielders in front of them sitting, so you've got sort of six at the back. You haven't you haven't got enough up front to do anything, and we were just relying on moments of quality from players at this point. And luckily, we were getting them sometimes, but we just, it was not a functioning team.
0: No, and then you've been Portsmouth, the 4-0s in in October. And then that's followed up with a win at Fleetwood. We managed to get two wins on the bounce, albeit needed a last-minute winner from Selena to beat Fleetwood. And then that's turned around away at Plymouth, again, where we score first. Um, and then probably, is this the kind of peak performance, Joe? Of the Paul Cook era, maybe, the Wickham away 4-1 going goal down, Burgess off, injured. Or is it, is it Colson or Burgess? No, Colson, Colson goes off, off injured, injured Burgess comes on, doesn't he? Um, everyone, I think, was saying this Wickham performance needs to be the catalyst. It obviously proves not to be, but we have to, you know, that was probably one of our best away performances in recent years, isn't it?
3: Oh, well, that Probably one of our best performances full stop in recent years. Our best performance of last season and I'm struggling to think of one better than that where you've gone away to a side that are a very, very difficult side to play against. And yeah, they had their moments and it takes a good save from Walton to keep it a 3-1 and which, which could have been a massive point. But football's always been a game of fine margins, it's been a low-scoring game. You need your keeper to step up sometimes, you need your defenders to step up, and you need to take your chances. But I thought the second half of that was probably one of the the best like we we totally nullified a very, very awkward team and we were just much, much better than them. And like I say, you see a performance of that and that was probably the first time when I thought there there might be something here. This this doesn't feel like a false hope. This doesn't feel like I'm really desperately trying to search for something that maybe isn't quite there. And I'm just trying to almost lie to myself that something is there. That I actually felt after that one. When you see a performance like that, yeah. If we if we can play like this. We're going somewhere here.
0: And then, uh, but this forms part of a five game run where four points are picked up against teams who were around the top six at that point. So there's the defeat away at Plymouth, then the, the win at Wickham, then a pretty dour, but a nevertheless, barely decent point at home to Oxford. And then, sub you were at Sunderland, weren't you? The, yeah. This performance where Essentially, we're in control of the game. We've been to one at Sunderland before where this has been Carbon. the case and there's Carbon suddenly copy. a goal for the opposition just turns the game.
4: Yeah, in control and looking okay and knocking it around. Not that much of a goal threat. I remember Selena had a couple of bites of a cherry where he, he should have scored, hit it straight at the keeper twice. But because we were so wedded like Joe just said to the 4 two, three, one, you know a striker goes off for a striker a right winger comes on for a right winger and we all know if it's not working in the first kind of hour then nothing is really going to change to, to kind of make it swing around I mean some of them were there for the taking that day crowd were booing their fans you know it was a huge win for Lee Johnson I, I think he was on a pretty bad run of form at the time and yet yeah, again we came away from a, a promotion rival and a contender with a, you know a no points in the bag and a, a fairly kind of meh performance which we then followed up with Rotherham in the midweek, didn't we?
0: Yeah, and that uh, Rotherham at home was the most two nil of a way defeat. Uh, so home defeats, you know, as we have come to expect playing Rotherham these days. But we were absolutely nowhere in the game. We, we talked recently about the, the win over a crew, which is ultimately Cook's last league win in charge, which felt like a um, felt like a, a draw or a defeat, even though it's got Selena's goal of the season in it, and and that's it really, because the cup games are what finally bring Cook's tenure to a close. But Joe, to your point, you're looking for that momentum. You're looking for when are we going to click into two points a game to get our season back on track? It never happens. And therefore, whilst the timing was probably a surprise for us when it happens, I I don't think it was difficult to argue as the right call.
3: No, I am. I was very happy with the decision. I just thought he was not the right man for the job. I think he, sort of proven that quite comprehensively and when you look at the, I know we're only sort of talking about the league here, but when you look at the Cup and we'd lost at home to Arsenal under 21, so we'd lost at home to West Ham under Twenty One, so we'd been held to draws by Barrow, who finished 20th in League 2, Colchester at home, Oldham, who got relegated out of the league, held us to a draw and it's just a case of, we just, there were, there were a lot of opportunities to build some momentum up and we just failed to do it every single time we had a chance to and i am um, I wasn't expecting them to be sacked i it wasn't i remember i was in it was after the f a cup came I was in the pub and all of a sudden my phone blew up and there, there was a live show sort of set up and it was just a well like a shock but I, I found it quite easy to agree with. I know there were some people who i don't know maybe people who didn't like the older players that we had and were very grateful to Paul Cook for getting rid of them and binning them off and telling them they were competition winners and didn't deserve to play for the club and things like that. And really maybe went too far into sort of thinking he was great for just being unprofessional in way like, he sort of handled some things and they wanted Paul Cook to stay because they'd seen some of the lights. But for me, I just, I hadn't seen any, any sort of steady progress. I, I'd seen a win and then a bit down here and then something up here and down, but I hadn't seen a sort of gentle progress and when you look at the squad we had it just was nowhere near good enough and when you look at how the table finished where we were when it happened our season was over
0: Seb a lot of people sentiment at the time as well as they were wary that game changer might be turning us into a Watford we become a a sacking club Um, what was your thoughts at the time on on Paul Cook's departure
4: I was surprised because traditionally we're not a club that fires managers. You know, we've seen with Mick and Hurst and Lambert, we tend to give managers too much time, if anything. But it was the correct decision. You know, at that point, at the end of his his tenure, you're on what? You're on uh, 27 points. The automatic's definitely gone. The playoffs are almost impossible to reach without a two point per game kind of average for the rest of the season and you know he he, he we spoke about the back end of last season and he's blamed all the players and thrown them out so he's been given a whole load of new players and he still can't do it and you just you just run out of excuses eventually don't you and I think it was the right decision you know towards the end the Sunderland the Rotherham the crew games okay we picked up three points in the uh, in the crew game but you know the atmosphere wasn't great was it at games you know we weren't being entertained either I guess if we were losing 4-3 but seeing great attacking football then we might have been a bit more kind of sympathetic and a bit more tolerant but by the end of his tenure that the football was crap wasn't it you know I remember somebody put on Twitter after the Rotherham game saying how is this any different to the Rotherham turned under Paul Lambert a couple of years ago and that summed it up perfectly we changed absolutely everything and yet as a club in that performance nothing had changed since 2019 or 2020 whatever it was so for me it was the, the right decision um, and then I guess the, the merry-go-round started with the links of names didn't it and that didn't inspire me at first but we all know what Happens after that. Yeah, sorry, i sorry. I think
3: to lead on from Seb's point as well. When he's talking about he got rid of the players and then the new players in, and we plan the same. There was also talk, which Mark Haskins has confirmed, that Luke Wolfenden was going to be leaving the club in January. He was being pushed out the door. Luke Wolfenden said that, and there was talks in the paper, and I'm talking about the East Anglian, not a uh, sort of national journal. And East Anglian normally switched on that we were trying to get Chay Dunkley over the line and players like this. And it's a case of how many more how many more signings is he going to ask for when you've given him a brilliant squad in the summer and then it's still not good enough and, you, and you're trying to get rid of players that you've only just bought in yourself because they're not working and you want to bring in some different players and it's a bit like, how many more? But, and let's like say, I know I'm sort of always seen as the one who's very heavily critical of Paul Cook, but I do think in in fairness to Cook, he came in when Marcus Evans was the boss, when he was going to be running everything we we know what our managers under Evans have been like. They have been ha- handsomely recompensed to be the absolute face of the football inside of the club, and they're going to be doing pre-season. They're going to be doing signings. They're going to, they're going to be doing everything there. And all of a sudden, Paul Cook from coming into being the man. And let's like say he did a interview with I think they're not the top twenty guys, or with him and Danny Cowley did one, and he comes across as very old fashioned as a football man in that he's, he wants control. He wants this, he wants that. And then he's happy to cede control, but to cede control to his people, he wants to bring in his recruitment guy. He wants to bring in his fitness guy. He wants to bring in his scout. And, that's totally understandable, but he's come in expecting to be in a position to do that for Marcus Evans and for Town. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh no, Mark Ashton's coming in and he is going to be the boss and we're going to bring in Andy Rolls and he's going to do the sports science and we're going to be looking to do a recruitment team. You're not involved in that. And we're going to be doing this and we're going to be doing this. And none of this is you. You are now just effectively the first team coach with a, sort of veto and a say-so over certain signings. So he he was doing a totally different job to the one he signed up for. And I, would he have signed up for that job if he knew that? Possibly not. But if he did sign up to it, he'd have signed up to it with his eyes wide open, where really he was blindsided by it. So he, he deserves a lot of sympathy in, in that side of things for me.
0: And clearly a passionate guy, wanted to succeed, but maybe through things outside of his control and maybe choices that he made that maybe in hindsight he would have done better it might be a different story there but as as we know it isn't and we have to reflect he never
3: seemed seemed a good fit for the for the sort of approach that was being taken was it like you had mark Ashton coming in and then you had sort of all these guys here and oh head of sports science there he's got a masters in this and he's this and all these sort of it was like a very collegiate approach wasn't it you had fit you sort of had all these people with amazing cvs with great history in the game and then all of a sudden you put the first team coach and stuff together and it's oh gary roberts who used to play for me who's done no coaching He's 37 this guy who used to be the kit man at wigan who said he's not interested in coach is going to come down and and it's like you've gone On one side, you've gone so extreme, and the other side, I don't know, it reminds me of Moneyball in the movie, where you've got all these analysts and you've got these old school scouts, and they're just going to butt heads over everything. And I say, it it, it just, and like when you see now the coaching staff that we've brought in, and it's like Martin Pert, who's coming from Manchester United, who's been everywhere. Um, Charlie Turnbull from Fulham, who's sort of really highly rated in their academy, and they're a sort of top Cat One academy. And you've, exactly. got, you've got all these people yeah. coming in who really, really well qualified. And obviously, Kieran McKenna, as the number one of those, is very, very well qualified. And it's just seemed they seem much more in, in keeping and in fitting with what was going on everywhere else in the club.
0: And, and everywhere else, in good parts of the EFL as well. Guys, very quickly, let me get your score out of five for Paul Cook's performance. I'll allow you to decide whether you consider the season before as well in your score. Um, we've canvassed opinion on our Telegram group um, hosted for us by Leveler, which you can join um, as always. Details on uk. So let's start with your score out of five for Paul Cook's performance
4: uh a two I, I can't go any higher than a two <clears throat> you know he did he did like like joe said you've got to take into account the fact that it wasn't the gig he signed up for but he never got us going as a, a as a side and you know it was that start that first six games or so that, that well,
3: the first 10 games that really cost us promotion this season so no more than a two for me joe and one for me one i think he wasted a good opportunity at promotion last season and he wasted uh second opportunity of promotion this season. So two failures to get us out of this league and sort of, well, what, what, that's what his job was to do, wasn't it? And he didn't, didn't come close either time.
0: 28% of our Telegram users who were polled agree with Joe. 58% agreed with Seb. 14% went as high as three. So obviously some kind people out there sympathetic people out there
2: Uh, we'll be back straight after this with wings more crisp than a James Norwood finish ribs meatier than a Sam Morsey tackle and chicken tastier than Wes Burns favourite is Britain's tastiest chicken and as a listener of the Blue Monday podcast you can get 20% off by entering BM20 at the checkout Order direct from their menu at chicken-ipswitch.co.uk. They'll deliver anywhere within a 2.7-mile radius of the store. And if you're not quite as local as the Bond family, you can click and collect. The store is located just off Hadley Road. Favourite, Britain's tastiest chicken.
1: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Away days are great, but
2: there's nothing quite like home comforts. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home advantage with Mook Delivery. You win. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee in terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
4: Blue Monday are delighted to be partnered with TalkSport Fan Network and NordVPN, giving you the best possible offering for browsing the internet securely. If you need to rapidly change direction like Amari Hutchinson, there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash blue monday or click the link in the podcast or YouTube subscription to be taken straight there, supporting us here at Blue Monday in the process.
0: Seblis pick things up. You mentioned the managerial merry-go-rounds. Eventually, Kieran McKenna is appointed. We are, I remember it well, doing a live show talking about him as the prospective appointment. And it's announced by the club there and then, 9pm, I think, on a Thursday, if I remember rightly, or a Wednesday. Uh, Your reflections on the appointment, I guess, in keeping with a lot of Mark Ashton and Game Changers um, signings and appointments, um, a bit out of the blue.
4: It was, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, the the odds come out when these things happen and it was the usual suspects and there, there's talk that we're, um, it was the Millwall man, was the guy Neil who was killing him, Neil yeah. Harris, we were chatting, we, you know, we were getting quite advanced talks with him and there's a rumour, you know, is he going to be worn up for six months to try and galvanise us and get us promoted? And then out of nowhere, you know, Kieran McKenna kind of comes in without ever being considered one of the favourites. And when you look at the other clubs in the EFL who've done similar and appointed, you know, young, upcoming, educated, kind of coaches and got really well for them all all we could be at the time was was excited I remember seeing the first interview he gave and I thought oh wow this guy's very impressive you know the way he he communicates and articulates things and you're just thinking to yourself he's definitely got a, a bit about him here and it was overall excitement given his his pedigree you know the the assistant manager and first team coach at man united you're thinking christ he's been coaching the likes of you know ronaldo and pogba a week ago and he's now going to come here and see what he can get on get on with our guys and and yeah excitement and and, i'm really looking forward to it i didn't expect us to be troubling the playoffs i thought he's got a hell of an ask here all i wanted to see for that second half of the season was improvement some established patterns of play some in-game management and some tactical kind of stuff And i thought we'd be in a uh a good position for 22-23. For
0: Joe, we found out subsequently in um, conversation with Mark Ashton, I think maybe on our pod actually, that we pursued McKenna, not the other way round. This is obviously, in the grand scheme of things, a really big coup for Ashton and ITFC, isn't
3: it? Yes. And um, and Martin Burton as well. Yeah, and um, well, Ashton spoke about how, I think it was with Ed Schwartz, he just, he'd interviewed a few guys he just wasn't getting his they just weren't getting his juices flowing. They weren't getting his mojo. And he said that Edge Sports basically said to him, why why don't you do what you've done before previously? And obviously, he's a guy that's given sort of Brendan Rodgers, Lee Johnson, Eddie Bufroyd a chance in the game. And some some of these have obviously had gone on to have really good careers. And sort of Brendan Rodgers, especially on that side. And I think he's... I think maybe there may be an element of control in it that Ashton likes somebody that is maybe younger and is... Sort of more first time in the job, learning on the job, and he likes maybe that mentoring aspect and being a- being able to do that side of it. And he-, he just said from the first time he spoke to McKenna, he's phoned Mike O'Leary or Ed Schwartz or one of the game changers and said he's the- he's the man. He's we've got to- we've got to get him. And just the timing of it worked. Obviously, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had just left Man United, so maybe if that hadn't happened, we wouldn't have got him. Good, and it, yeah. but from the very first time I heard McKenna speak and sort of talk about. The football club and what he's plans to do, and just it just felt so chalk and cheese for from Paul Cook. It, it felt such such the right person for me, the right appointment, the right type of person. And when you look at Ipswich as a football club, our most successful managers you've got obviously Sir Ralph Ramsey being given his opportunity, so Bobby Robson being given his opportunity. George Burley, I know he'd started his manager managerial career out, but that young manager, obviously Jim and Gilton's probably the last person that fell into that. And when you look at the managers who haven't had success here, sort of John, you can go back to like John Duncan and there. Obviously John Lyle did a good job, but then like Mick McGiven came in. And John Lyle got us up, but he didn't really do anything when we when we went up, did he? And then obviously you've got Paul Jewell, Paul Lambert, all Rick of Marcus King, Evans Paul Hurst. Mick McCarthy, Mick sort,
1: McCarthy of kept,
3: sort of kept the m. Um, our heads above water for a long time, and nearly did an incredible job getting this into promotion. But he was always—I know—I don't—I don't ever felt that feel that Mick had the sort of connection with the fan base and the club and the area that those other managers have had. And like I say, while I sort of say I think Mick did a fantastic job here, and I know some people would disagree with that, but he's still—I don't know—there were still times I didn't think he was—I know. He, Ipswich he manager wouldn't feature on his CV, if that makes sense. Yeah, Where I and, think for Kieran he, McKenna, he, he he just strikes me as the as the right type of fit for the football club and he, he might, like to, uh, Jim and Jill wouldn't strike that way, but he turned out not to be. And like I say, people think we got rid of him too early. I think probably at the time he was sort of not meeting the expectations, hadn't done for a couple of years. So I can see why he went. But McKenna might be successful, he might not be, but he, he feels the right type of manager for the football club.
0: And what I was going to say about Mick as well, Mick, and I think Keen as well, tried to distance themselves from the club's historic past because they saw it as a millstone around the neck that was maybe dragging us back into the past or an unfair yardstick to to compare the current team against. And McKenna kind of bought into that, and and is obviously, you know, he, he, he's a, he's a studier, he's he's a he's a learner, he he develops other people as well as himself, and he seemed to buy into this, and that's obviously going to get. The fan base on board as well. So I think set up, as you say, in lots of different ways for success. And, you know, ultimate success is yet to be seen, but certainly we'll talk about the the months of his tenure here. Um, certainly a solid start, you know, with the John McGrill uh, games, we did, you know, the, apart from the Charlton game, a draw against Wigan, a draw against Sunderland in the grand scheme of things, actually pretty good. Obviously, the pack out of Portman Road and McKenna in the stands to see twenty nine thousand in that draw against Sunderland, where we probably, it was a game of two hours wasn't it really, but the Wiccan game his first game, a 1-0 victory which is kind of, Seb fairly typical of what we saw from early days of McKenna
4: yeah, it was, wasn't it? And obviously, we got to thank McGreal for the the switch to the three-five-two and bringing Norwood, I guess, back into the fold, who has a a role to play for the rest of the season. But straight yeah. away against Wickham, I just thought we just looked so much kind of sharper already. And there was a couple. of, Was it Gillingham was cancelled because of COVID, so he only kind of had one game, didn't he? In a probably a two-week or a ten-day spell. And Lincoln as well, I think. <clears throat> yeah, Lincoln so, yeah, the, Lincoln called yeah. their game off, didn't they, on New Year's Day or whenever it was. So, so we kind of almost saw the the fruit straight away of you know a bit of a bit of coaching and stuff, and we just started to look so much sharper and better and we were seeing recognized patterns of play and then when he's coming out and doing his post-match and his pre-match interviews he's kind of engaging with the fans like we're kind of adults you know we understand football and stuff whereas previously all we kind of heard was you know like oh I'm not going to answer that question and almost like you don't understand football so you know I'll I'll give this answer and we're going to work really hard on the training ground and all that kind of stuff but from the very first moment against Wickham you know everything just seemed to sort of take a a a step up and uh, it was a sign of what was to come.
0: And that Gillingham game that you mentioned there. I mean Gillingham, yeah. you know, Evans Steve Evans was sacked or walked the day after, didn't he? Or maybe even the evening. Um yeah. that was yeah, a that was there, yeah. quality, wasn't it?
4: That it was brilliant. Yeah. I mean, was it the second goal, the one where we start in our sort of right wing back position and it's a slick passing move and a Luco third one, I think a Luco puts the ball through to Penny to cut back to bond for the for the goal. You know, some of the passing and movement was absolutely phenomenal. I know we'd we'd had a pretty dour end football wise to you know Paul Cook's kind of era, but but this was just next level stuff again. You know, we were moving the ball with so much purpose. We looked quicker and fitter in key positions, and we were knocking it around. and It, it was it was really nice to watch.
0: Joe, in terms of we've obviously dwelt on the positives of the McKenna area, but there are, certainly in this first month, there are some defeats away from home to Bolton and Sheffield Wednesday, which kind of set a pattern for where we haven't been so effective under McKenna it is the types of performance here where we concede, where we have dominance, don't score, and then concede, and then can't back, get back into the games. That's been pretty consistent, that path We haven't, no one's kind of blown us away. We've always been in games, but there's always you've got to score and that's been pretty typical of all of our seasons in the one, hasn't it?
3: Yeah, I think it was the um, defensive solidity that, that you could tell straight away. We just looked so much more organised offensively and stopped conceding chance. I thought I think Sheffield Wednesday was a bit of an aberration really and when you look at the sort of team we put out that day where it's sort of Tyreek Backinson. And was Mazzoni in the cent- centre of midfield up against Barry Banner, Massimo Luongo, and season championship players, really not even season League One players. And we just our squad just didn't didn't cope with that game, really. And I think that was just one you just have to put down to too many influential players missing out against a too good a side. But I so said we, we, we haven't scored enough goals under McKenna. I think I, I don't think anyone would disagree that. Sometimes it's been games where we've done everything but score. Other times where it's games where we maybe haven't created as much as we needed to to win the game. but I, I, I don't feel that... I think probably if you take a, take away the Gillingham home game where we won 1-0, I don't think we there were any games where we got more than we deserved, if that makes sense. I think we we really had to earn every point we got under McKenna and, and we got a lot of points really in half a season. What was it 20, 41 points in 23 games, is it? Which over a season is going to see you... Sort eighty-two points in the playoffs yeah, know, so maybe his, not this year, but
0: his contribution of points was yeah forty-two out of the seventy points. So we got yeah sixty percent of our points haul and um, points per game one point seven five, which would be which would have been enough. If if that extrapolated over across the course of the season, we put some on eighty one points, which is still seventh. We wouldn't yeah. have got in the playoffs this season. I, but yeah, but this
3: season yeah. was a freak, wasn't free, it? Free, it? Yeah. But, but how, like I say, how many how many points did we gain that we didn't deserve under McKenna? I I can't. I say right. that Gillingham game. I can't think of any. I think we were. I think we really had to work hard for our points. When you look at Morecambe and Fleet, uh, sorry, it's Morecambe and was it? Cheltenham where we got sort of two points across those two games we had like 50 shots across two games yeah. and we, yeah. we deserve we deserve more than we got under McKenna and hopefully the luck evens itself out as we go into next season
0: because there's a spell here guys between February and February and March we are undefeated if I'm right I think there's the, the wins against Gillingham Doncaster a draw MK 7,000 taken their Burton. Pretty comprehensive victory there. Cheltenham draw. We talked about that. Morecam draw. They, we were there at Morecambe said, weren't we? Yeah um and that, that, and that month where...
4: we only concede one goal, don't we? That month. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's defensive goal. solidity is what what really starts. It's two points per game average for that month across what is it, six games you just mentioned. And we've only conceded one against Morecambe right at the end of that end of that sort of run. You know, the defensive base was what you know, built our things going forward. And, and yeah, at that point we were thinking we might have a chance here because we were looking imperious at the back. We didn't score that many goals. We, I, I remember we were creating hit chances here and there and the strikers weren't necessarily taking them, but you know, the two points per game run that went on in, in kind of February kind of made us think, well, I mean, maybe we could just do this And on a normal year. We, we, we might've done going into, going into March.
0: And only one goal conceded in March as well. So, you know, wins Fleetwood Lincoln, draw home to Portsmouth, which probably we should have one had
4: a disallowed goal. which allowed yeah. goal did be Right oh. at the end there, and then it, the, 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 the one goal experience. we conceded was the, the the killer, wasn't it? It was that killed the season there and then. You know, was it ninety fourth minute or something? You know, a free, a set piece, a free header from the from the corner, and yeah, that that was the one that really did us in. Because had we gone there and won, you know, we've beaten, you know, we've we've put incompetent professional displays against Fleetwood, Lincoln, unlucky against Portsmouth, but if you go to Oxford and win, which we fully deserve to, we played really well, scored that that lovely goal by Selina. If, if, if we hold on there and keep the three points going to the Plymouth game, which we then win as well, then you've got back-to-back wins against you know promotion contenders. You're dragging them out of it. You're pushing yourself back up into it. But it was that one goal that we conceded in the 90-whatever-it-was minute that, that really hit us for the season. Didn't
3: it? I also yeah. think that um, when you look at the Plymouth game the following week, we, we win that game and then we go into the changing rooms and look at the results and we end up with a smaller percentage chance of making the playoffs. I think we went from a 4% chance to a 1% chance, even when we won that game. And actually, had we won every game after Oxford, all seven of those games, we still wouldn't have made the playoffs.
0: Yeah, and then, and the heads go, do they? Do, you, do we think, in, after Plymouth? April's obviously a mixed month. as the defeat at home to Cambridge, which was very frustrating. The draw at Shrewsbury, again, kind of late-ish in the last... Five or ten minutes, isn't it? Uh, they, they equalize After the Rotherham away, which is a game of two halves. Wigan's a decent performance, second half, wasn't it? Um, but again, defensive frailties there. Crew, you got, you got, I think both of you guys were at crew, weren't you? Um, is it psychological at that point that their performance has become a little bit, I mean, relatively speaking, erratic compared to Paul Cook? But yeah, we didn't pick up as many points maybe in April as we would have liked going into the end of the season, maybe, Joe?
3: Yeah, and, and I do think there were certain characters that we missed. I think a big one is George Edmondson sort of going out the side there. And like I say, he he helped drive us on from the back much more than Cameron Burgess does in the left of the three, who Burgess did fine over those last few games other than the city red card and losing his man at Oxford. But he just doesn't have that same penetration that Edmondson does on the ball when he can move forward with the ball, pass it forwards, cut inside, give a bit more spot there. And also George Edmondson seems a big, big character on the pitch as well. I think I think we really missed him. Sort of added that in with Lee Evans missing the midfield and having to never really settled on anyone next to Morsey other than sort of Backenson played the majority of the games, but never felt like he was totally trusted. He seemed to play the away games, and then at home we'd sort of try and bring someone differently in to try and move it a bit differently. So it's I uh, say I think this, we just ran out of puff. Really, that was sort of so far so far away from where we wanted to be, and there was no there was no way we could catch it up. So we just ended up drifting further and further behind.
0: But a, a nice final flourish at home to Charlton on the closing game of the season. Backinson on the score sheet, nice goal there. But the, yeah, Be- Wes Burns kind of puts in the performance guise of a player of the season. We we did a poll that in the Telegram group as well. That was kind of the Blue Monday player of the season vote, albeit a lot of choice this time around. But Seb, Wes Burns, star man probably,
4: yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, the numbers don't lie. I think that win against Charlton was important, wasn't it? Because, you know, at that point, you've not won in, what, four or five games. And you've got this big thing around the season, tickets for next year and the renewals. And you really want to go into the summer on some sort of positivity. So it was great to see that level of performance and and, and Wes Burns proving why he was a a clean sweep in the, you know, player of the season award, supporters player, players player. He uh, He was superb, a relatively... Underwhelming signing. He was the first one, wasn't he? The first, the first one that was announced. And I kind yeah. of thought, okay, decent squad player. He scored that goal against us in the last day of the season for Fleetwood, and he might be okay and chip in here and there. But yeah, really happy for him because he was brilliant this season. And I guess when he was missing, it kind of hurt Cook quite a lot. And and it's up to him now to come back next year and work out how to do it all again. And it's up to us and McKenna to work out how if you know if teams shut Wes Burns down, how can you have other outlets and and other patterns of play to, to damage people.
0: And uh yeah, finish on seventy points, eleventh in, in the league. Um, so no real improvement um in on our league one finishes. But the the sense of things of momentum that we've talked about so much on the shows over the course of the season is there. Guys, do you wanna give Kieran McKenna your vote out of five? Um Seb, I'll start with you.
4: Four. I uh, thought he did really well till it tailed off towards the end. But I guess that's just human nature, you know. When it's out of sight and uh, and you know it's it's natural, I guess, for you to switch off a little bit. But love love the guy. Loves what he brings. What he, you know on the pitch, we're seeing established patterns of play. We look fitter. We look better coached. He's brilliant off the pitch with the engagement with the fans. And yeah, brilliant job. Four out of
3: five. Joe. Yeah, four out of five for me as well. He's just what I want as a manager of my football club. In that, he's a respectful. Um, educated, speaks to the fans as though they are, I don't know, he just treats the fans with a manner of respect. that previous, I can't remember the previous managers that have done that. Paul Lambert just came out flat back and everything away. Mick McCarthy would never discuss anything. Obviously, we've had sort of Paul Hurst, who wasn't really here for long enough to know what he did. But I, I just think he's he, he's exactly what I wanted to manage, that like modern, fresh ideas and on the pitch, I think we got better straight away. How, how quickly he was able to just sort of turn, turn things around and make us look solid within sort of a week on the training ground. And you got to hope that the six weeks that he gets on the training ground, as well as bringing in a couple of players that he wants, is he is able to really get us going at the start of next season. And because there has been, I'd say, just someone like Luke Wolfenden, for example, how good has he been in the second half of the season under Kieran McKenna? Gone from a player that was being pushed out the door to probably the best defender in the league. And it's just it's just a testament to his coaching. And you've got Wes Burns really improved. I know he'd been good under Cook, but he was brilliant in the second half of the season. Junoy DeNashin went from being a sort of okay, okay player who, who sort of was playing above average to Mr. Dependable under him and sort of George Edmondson um, Sam Morsey, he just quickly swapped Morsey and Evans' role around him straight away. Morsey looked f- five times as player as what he looked previously before that. And Caden Jackson brought in from nowhere and was doing really well if he got injured. And it's like, it, it, there's sort of four or five players he's drastically improved in half a season without any time to really think about it. So sort of, he's had to get onto the treadmill when it's at full speed and just try and carry it through. Now he's actually going to have time to stop and think about what he's going to do next season. Like I said, it's, it's really, really exciting
0: yeah 75% of the telegram group agree with you guys 14% went as high as five um 11% went as low as three though I think I'd stick with four I think that's pretty good before we finish with 21-22 and start thinking about next season we asked um our group about best game of the season or best home game of the season at least um votes for Doncaster, Wickham, um, Charlton on the final day, but Plymouth was the one that won out. Do you agree with that, guys?
4: That's what I voted for in the group. Yeah, I think you know it was the. Was that the first time we beat somebody in the top six, if I remember rightly, at the, at the time, or or Pretty something fine. like that? It was. It was. It was a uh, a really good performance. It was important after the the Oxford game, and I just thought everything about that day was really, really good. I was really impressed with us. And. Yeah. Um,
3: Plymouth had come into that game, I don't think they conceded a goal in five games. They'd won yeah. five or six oh, on the course, bounce so yeah. conceded the goal and I know them finishing seventh, you sometimes forget how good form they were in when they, when they turned up at our place and I thought that was a very, very comfortable 1-0 win that could have been, again, we talked about it earlier, not scoring enough goals, but that that was one that had we got what we deserved would have been a much more comfortable 2-3-0 or victory That because we were really, really good that day.
0: And best away game, um, 23% for Portsmouth 4-0, 17% um for gillingham one person voted for another game and i'm not sure applied to tell me what it was but um the clear winner there um for obvious reasons is the Wickham game with 57 percent i think we all concur with that one don't we yeah,
4: yeah without doubt. Um, yes.
0: apologies to whoever it was in the telegram group who voted other and if i haven't found it then apologies but maybe you might want to tell us there for that and then and then we we did, I, did, I was going to do a word cloud, but everyone came up with, everyone got their thesaurus out and looked at slightly different words. Um, Joe Fares um, decided to conjoin, he's, like, he's gone German and joined two words together. Um, wasted opportunity, or one word. Uh, pretty a bit of a cheat there, Joe. I'll come back to Sibyl, get yours at the end. Um, Adam went for purgatory, James went for underwhelming, Zach went for familiar. It's, it's a lot of maybe more downbeat maybe than I thought, but 11th in League One, I guess. Um, Ed went for Flaccid, um, which got an interesting reaction, certainly from me. Squandered from Andy, I think. Chimes with your thoughts, Joe. Frustrating from Chris. Um, typical says, oh, you did put one in Seb. Typical said Seb. Right off, Martin getting involved in the the conjoining of words here. Luke went for meh. Um, Jack Saunders. Jack's more on my wavelength. Promising, question mark. Punctuation, was permitted. Um, John went for 11th. Yeah, I would say how it is, John. I passed the, ru- the Ron Seal test. Jim went for unrealized. Um, skip's gone underwhelming. David Diamond turgid. Um, cooked, says Richard Woodall. Um, progress, says Alex. Foundation says Dan. Yeah. Priming turnaround from Chris and FBL Tractor. Foundations, yeah. So lots of stuff like that. Contrasting, frustrating from others. There's more here than I thought calamitous comes up. Yeah, a bit harsh and anticlimactic, says Paul. Maybe it's Paul Cook, I don't know. But I think that sums up the season quite well. Let's look ahead and and catch up with some bits of news. Let's do a a bumper, because I've done a bumper for a minute. And catch up on announcements on squads and players leaving who are out of contract. 5th of May, said we heard James Nord, Tom Carroll, Miles Kennock, and Thomas Holy were moving on. And I think we've heard that Lone players have left, though we've got options on some of them. Your thoughts on those four, in particular, any thoughts on whether that's
4: yeah, it's no, expected no surprises. Also, Norwood announced it the night before the final game of the season, and in, in the same, you know, news article they mentioned Tom Carroll, Holy, and Kenlock were were fairly obvious. Given they didn't feature bar maybe a couple of cup games, they've been out on loan for the second half of the season. Don't disagree with any of them personally. You know, Holy wasn't wasn't ever good enough for us at this level, especially now what? with <laughs> Yeah, you'll be delighted, wouldn't you? I I it was just
0: you me had that, that opinion. Right? I, I
4: forgot how much you hated him. Um, yeah, no, Holy was never good enough. Kenlock seems to have done okay at Colchester. Maybe he'll get a deal there, but no. You know, not we've,
0: massively pulled up trees can lock
4: okay. well, we, we, we've me. moved on as a, as a as a football club here, haven't we Norbert again you know i I know he's leaving with a record of one every two games or whatever it is across his three years here, but you know availability injuries off field baggage for me, you can spend his wage better elsewhere, so i've got no issue with that one, and Carol just never really got going here, you know i didn 't think he was very impressed with any of the performances he put in. he kind of looked almost too too kind of physically weak for this kind of league, maybe in the Championship or the Premier League where you get a bit more time on the ball, he'd look better, but he was one that that never worked out. So, you know, we wish all four well, but for me there, there was no no surprises and no real disagreements.
0: And then last week, Joe, bringing things right up to date, two uh, two names that probably know best of the under-23s released are Bailey Clements, who had a couple of runner games um, in November time, um, and Brett McGavin, who never really featured too much in the league, um, he was. Um, those were two of eight players released by the under twenty three There is a few who have got talks ongoing. Other names you might be familiar: Levi Ando, Ross Crane, Dylan Crow, Tommy Smith. Um, your reflection is our academy aficionado on those names.
3: Yeah, I, I think I think they're all understandable. I think sometimes as a club we've held on to players a bit too long when you look at the ages of some of the players released, you think that, oh, Brett McGavin and Bailey Clements, they're promising youngsters. But Then you look and they're sort of 21, 22 years old and have made sort of next to no impact in the first team here. Bailey Bailey Clements had this very strange season where he was sort of nowhere near it. Then all of a sudden, because Matt Penny upset Paul Cook at Plymouth, was all of a sudden started for five games in a row across League and Cup. and sort of, it seemed to sort of burn him out, sort of gone from never playing to playing five games in sort of two and a half weeks. It was just too much for the kid. And he ended up, I think he ended up on loan to Steve. He's played a few games there, got dropped, they changed their manager, stayed at the team. And I think he's going to be a player that is sort of, he's always a solid, dependable person, maybe, and player. But He's, I think he's going to be someone that struggles to get a League Two club. I think he might have to drop Amos sights lower than that. Brett McGavin, again, he's had a season on loan in the National League, and I think he's done well enough by all accounts, but it's a team in Kingsland that have been relegated from the National League. So he's, again, these players are going to be fighting for a professional career now, and ultimately they're, they're not good enough for where we are now, and they're not going to be good enough for where we want to be. So sometimes you need to keep that squad a little bit more fine-tuned so that the pathways, like I say we talk about the first yeah. team pathway being P blocked. Word there. Yep. You've got to make sure that there's a pathway through to the under twenty threes as well, because like I say a lot of those boys Tommy, Tommy Smith's a good player, a very good player. He's sort of played for the first team, had a loan spell at Stonemark at the end of this season and my friends watched him a couple of times there and playing against in the playoffs and sort of said he's the best player on the pitch. But again, that's a long way down the levels and he's now he would be a third year pro going into next season. Two years older than Cameron Humphreys, uh, maybe one year old Nelkin Bagger and players like that, and he's you've just not made the progress. And it's I don't know. Sometimes it's you need to do the right thing by the boys and actually allow them a chance to go and find a level rather than just get into an age and they get released here with no with no football behind them.
0: And we and we've we were in the stands for the under 18s winning the Pro- professional development league cup. Yeah, um, sponsored by the Premier League or in associate, wherever, and you've got Humphreys, Chiwera featuring in those in that team. And again, as you say, the bigger the squad in the under-23s, the more you potentially from making that pathway route more difficult. So, no real surprises there. Let's, um, before we talk about next season then and, and what we need to do, just worth doing a few plugs. As always, um, Blue BlueMondayITFC.co.uk is the website. We'll try to keep that updated. It's one of those things that in the off-season might get a little bit neglected. But we'll generally have, I think, Joe and I are primed and ready for as soon as and there's any kit manufacturer or kit announcement news Joe and I and and anyone else in the pod team who's interested in that will be jumping on, maybe not doing it As soon as
3: Umbro is announced, we'll be straight there on it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Spoilers, hashtag spoilers. So that will definitely be a show. We'll do one for Fixtures Day, I think. Any big transfer news, I think, or transfer announcements, I think we'll do as well. We'll maybe chuck some live stuff in along the way. Um, Joe is typically um, a frequent visitor of the pre-season matches, so maybe we might do some reporting from around the grounds. Um, so plenty of stuff going on we've got interviews in negotiation with Phil and others um, so hopefully some bits and pieces but as you can no doubt understand we won't be as relentless or regular in our shows in the off season but I think we all need a bit of a break and a bit of a breather but Blue bluemondayarticity.co.uk if you want to get involved in between the shows in just general chat Um, jump on the telegram group that we set up with our friends at leveller the first two weeks are on us and then there's a bit of a subscription fee but that chat has been great we talk about the academy team the women's team talk about obviously there's a pretty chunky English town chat which is now going into transfer rumor mode Um, but we've got general football chat we've got non-football stuff as well because it's the cricket season and the golf season and everything else so get involved in the telegram group the guys um, we're all on there, all involved. And yeah, it's, it's good, isn't it, guys? You enjoying it? Seb?
4: I really like it. Yeah, really, really enjoying it at the moment. You know, the general football group's great with what's going on in the, the Premier League and the European Games and the FA Cup final and the, the playoffs, the EFL playoffs and stuff. It's, it's really great just to be able to sit there and, you know, you can, you, can, you can pop a message in a group and suddenly you've got four or five replies and you get a good couple of hours of conversation regarding various things. So, yeah, it's a really good, really good group. I'm really happy with it and, and I strongly encourage everyone. You won't lose anything. Like I say, you've got two weeks on us to come and have a look and see what it's all about. And then after that, though, like you say, there is a, a subscription service but come and see it try if it's not for you no problem if it is sign up and uh, we can continue the great chat into the summer
0: and you get to hear what Joe you know Joe's Joe's got spies everywhere Joe's on the grapevine <laughs> so that's part of the buzz as well is Joe revealing the, um, the kit manufacturer
3: <laughs> and it allows people like me who like transfer speculation to talk about Sam Morsy potentially going to Wigan without Rich Poo Pooing it because he doesn't like transfer speculation I don't
0: yeah I mute the chat on transfers I'm not I'm not big into that and um, but so yeah, um, it's yeah, you could do what you want. You can you, you can. We've got about six groups, you don't have to join all of them, so get involved in that. And um, we'll keep the conversation going throughout the summer. And obviously, as the season starts to come into view as well, even more chat going down there. So, do get involved there. Um, let's talk about 22 23. Um, we asked the telegram group about signings, but um, you've mentioned um, players potentially leaving, which is kind of a new. Players that we want to stay leaving is kind of a new concept. You mentioned the link with Sam Morsey that's happened um, today as we record it. Um, the, the, the general consensus on Telegram with 72% of the rate is three to five signings needed, Seb. Um, are you hoping that these are three to five signings on top of what we've got? Or might it need to be more because we might lose a couple for things outside of our control?
4: Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you, we've got to bear in mind, I know we will get very precious over players, but we've got to remember we just finished eleventh in League One. We've got to remember that we're owned by a pension fund who, you know, will have kind of limits on what they'll be willing to invest, and we've got a CEO uh, who has got a history of, you know, player trading and stuff. So I don't think we can be too precious over our existing squad. And if players go out, we have to leave our faith in the likes that it's, you know, McKenna's decision for people to move on, and we have full trust in McKenna and Ashton and the analysis team to to get able-bodied replacements in. I think. For Four to five is probably the right number that we need. We're going to need a complete overhaul of the the, the striking options. We need a left back. We need a central midfielder. I think the defence and the goalkeeper are absolutely fine. I'm not sure I'll be looking to, to strengthen there at all by the left wing back. And we're just going to see how the summer plays out. But, you know, we have just finished 11th in League One, so we have to bear in mind that some people might want to move on and if they do and it, we, we have to back McKenna because he's not let us down so far and you know between McKenna and Ashton I've got full faith they'll make the right decisions and you know if for example we lose let's say Morsey goes for two million quid yes of course it'd be a loss but he is 29 30 years old and he's September 31. yeah there you go so if that enables us to go out and sign you know Jack Taylor, Jack Taylor or Cameron Brannigan mentioned. or somebody you know if you if you can if you start next season let's say I'm just pulling names out of thin air we've all been linked with with Jack Taylor and Cameron Brannigan if they start as our two central midfielders next season and Morsey's gone then, then you know we're in overall I think in a stronger position so we've just got to leave it to these guys trust their judgment trust their instincts and uh and what will be will be but we can't get overly precious I don't think because we have just finished 11th in league
0: one and the three loans that have featured most in the first team yep. are um Thompson, <clears throat> Backinson and Selina. Yep. are you going in for any of those
4: Selena, if you can do it do it every day of the week you know six goals, six assists uh, I did a bit of research and he actually created 12 big chances so for this season you know so those six assists could easily have been higher had people been able to to finish the chances he put on a plate so I think if you can get Selena done and it's not silly money and it doesn't jeopardize anything, get it done because he's a class act for me Thompson no uh, he's a left back he was playing out of position doesn't offer me enough sort of going forward and Backinson for me again he's okay he's neat and tidy he recycles the ball but i think again we could do better there personally so for me selina thank you to thompson thank you to backinson but i I wouldn't be doing those ones personally
0: and joe just as you strategically coughed off air thank you very much very professional um what's your take on those three and any any other positions that seb's talked about
3: yeah i I agree with seb mainly sort of the positions that need strengthening and uh, that's the overall up front it's probably another number 10 if we Either Selena or a, another, another central midfielder, left back. So I've, we do need players, and I I'm, I'm generally fairly f- philosophical about players leaving. In that, if you get a good offer and they go, and we've been in a position under Marcus Evans where generally, previously under Evans, he he hasn't sold players when he could have done for good money. He's he's kept the players that the managers wanted. So we've turned down. £8 million for David McGoldrick, £3 million for Tyrone Mings, and sometimes it's worked, sometimes it hasn't. But but I don't know, Sam Morsey's one that I just think, at his age, he's not the sort of player you expect to lose when you don't want to. And I think if we were to lose him, it'd be a real blow. And he's sort of not the sort of player that the fee you're going to get for a 31-year-old is going to help you that much. So he's, he's one I wouldn't want to lose, where if somebody comes in for Luke Wolfenden, a player that I'm much prefer as an Ipswich player, Ipswich boy. Someone I like to. Well, you know that the money you're going to get from him is going, is going to be a club-changing amount of money that would be would be worth reinvesting. But I don't know. I'd, I'd worry if Morsey were to go. I don't think it would send a great message out for next season. But on the flip side, I could I could see it happening if you if he is unhappy, if he does want to go back up to Wigan, if he is still based up there with his family, then. You can lose players like that, but I don't know it's a it's he's a concern for me in losing him but and if you lose him, then it really makes it difficult. You lose that strong spine that we've all spoken about in recent weeks, and then I don't know, you end up hopefully not having too much change again, which is we we just we just don't want change. We want we want the season to start and sort of injury permitting for Christian Walton to be in goal, for Luke Wolfdoon and George Edmondson to be at the back, for Wes Burns to be playing, for Sam Morsey to be playing, and those sort of that running through the centre of the team like that, you want that, don't you? And do
0: you agree with the telegram group seventy two percent saying three to five, twenty eight percent going five to seven? Do you agree with that three to five number that Seb agrees with? Do you think there's some answers for and um, for positions, problem positions who are, already Joe, who are already in the building, like Joe Piggott, even Humphreys, potentially.
3: I don't think Joe Piggott's going to be the answer. I don't think he's athletic enough for the style of football we're, we're looking to play under Kieran Caden McKenna.
0: Jackson, we don't know about Caden Jackson We yet. don't know
3: about Caden Jackson. So if he goes, that's one more that we need to get in, effectively. But I think at the moment, we need to replace Tyreek Backinson. Whether we do with him or not is another matter. We need to replace Bursan Salina again, the same matter. We need to replace Dominic Thompson. We need to replace James Norwood. That's that's four before you, you're getting anywhere. And I think I think we need to replace Tom Carroll. So now we're up to five. And need a backup keeper. Yeah. And, and like I say, we'll lose Slabkey. So, But I think we need a net figure of plus five players into the squad. And I think that means we probably end up with another seven or eight transfers in. But the difference with the seven or eight this year is that it's seven or eight into the squad, not the whole the whole squad needs to the be whole recruited. squad going yeah. so we we know what we want to start the team with next year and we know what positions we need to focus on and it's 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 adding isn't it it's it's fine tuning and adding to the team
0: both of you i'm um, we're going to finish with this um, and i haven't asked you in advance so um let me point the question out and then i'll do some preamble then you can give me an answer a new year's resolution or a new season resolution for kieran mckenna's ipswich town um for what what we need to do better compared to the season just being all what needs to change for you to get us to that playoffs at least situation because there's a lot of um ambition obviously amongst the ownership group there's a lot of ambition and expectation amongst the fan base um you said that we need to start the season with no excuses and we need to hit the ground running in terms of points. We're going to be catching up. So what needs to change for you compared to last season? I'll start with Seb.
4: Uh, become much more threatening from set pieces and find an alternative to Wes Burns. As in, an alternative yeah. attacking strategy, let me replace him. As in, have a backup
3: in case teams shut down that right-hand side. Yep. Um, yeah, set set pieces for me. Plus also, just scoring more scrappy goals. Not every goal has to be a perfect bit of a five-ball move, pulled back from the byline and swept home. Sometimes you just need a loose ball to drop in the box and a striker of a James Norwood-type striker who's just there. Like a, like the goal we scored away at Wigan, for example, where the ball's just loosely just hammers it into the back of the net from close range or places like that. Just somebody who can be alert in the box to take some half chances in there rather than it needing to be put on a plate for them.
0: So, did you you done some prep on set pieces? We didn't really talk about it, but do you yeah. want to explain why the set pieces is such a dark thing? Yeah,
4: because it was such a you know such a bone of contention towards the end of the season. I know we missed Evans, and that was a bit of a problem. But of our six seven goals, only nine were set pieces, which is thirteen point four percent of our our total. And I just thought I'll compare that to the top six to get an idea of you know how far away we are, or maybe we were roughly average, and we were we were so far off it. I mean, the top six average goals from set pieces is 25.7%. The highest was Rotherham who scored 70 goals and they scored 23 goals from set pieces which was nearly 33% of their total. So, you know, it's an area we've got to double just to get into the top six kind of average. I mean, Wigan scored 25 goals from set pieces, Rotherham 23, MK and Sheffield Wednesday 18 apiece, Sunderland 19 and Wickham 17. So we need to improve that massively. I know we lost Evans for the last sort of 10, 12 games of the season. That was a big blow because his delivery was was decent but it's an area we need to improve on massively because you know it became a running joke by the end of the season, didn't it? We got we got ourselves a corner and the north stand, you know, scream and are happy, and we all know what's going to happen. It's either they're not going to be the first man, or it's going to be you know easily cleared, and, and it's something we need to work on this summer. And uh, hopefully, because we've got a bit of height and physicality in the team, you know, if, if somebody else is taking it, Evans is a big guy, Burgess is a big guy, Edmondson, Wolfenden, we've got a bit of a bit of kind of physicality, and it's an area, a massive untapped resource that we just just didn't get right this season at all. And
0: that's possibly, Joe, something that recruitment can fix as well, can't it?
3: Yeah, just a, a good set-piece taker. Like, yep. Sometimes you just think, well, these players are quality, they should be better, but it just hasn't worked for us in that regard, has it? So maybe someone comes through the door and is a better set-piece taker. I think Lee Evans' set-piece were be pretty good by the end, but there just wasn't much going on in there, but... As I said, you're not you're not going to get promoted from this league if you don't score goals from set pieces because you, you're just going to end up ten goals short this season. You don't need to be a team that scores thirty goals from set pieces, but you need to get fifteen.
0: Yeah, there you go. So, what we are leaving folk with is um, better set pieces, have a plan B, and they may may or may not be one in the same thing. So, but I think clearly a better situation than we where we found ourselves this time last year. And as always, we now are into silly season for transfer stories. My advice to everyone is don't get too excited until something is announced officially. Um, but that's just me. I'm just the transfer window Grinch, as Seb knows. So, um, My, my advice be, is to yeah. wait
3: for EADT and TWTD yeah. to pick it up and see what their slant is on the story because they they often have a slant like... I think Phil said in TWTD today that there is interest in Morsi, but there hasn't been any contact between the clubs yet. Well, that's that's sort of news, and, and you can trust both those news sources on it, can't you? So it's like we're, very, we're very lucky to have local press and yeah. local yeah, media yeah. that we do, I should say, rather than local press.
0: Figure out your primary sources or your secondary sources and figure out whether they might be biased. I remember doing that in GCSE history. Um, so there you go. So let the pros do the hard work for you. Exactly right. Use Anything on Twitter, scepticism should be your, your first port of call before um, then tweeting about it. But nevertheless, um, I we hope that you have a nice um, off-season break. Uh, we've mentioned we'll be back for, for kit news, for fixtures, for key transfers when they've actually been announced. Um, and pre-season friendlies. We'll do some live Q&As towards the start of the season. And like you, we're excited. I think it's season number eight for the pod. So plenty more to come from us. Joe, thank you so much for joining us straight off the plane. Um, you can go and fall asleep in front of the telly. Yeah, um, sorry
3: to any YouTube YouTube watchers for the probably like seven yawns I've done through this. That's show. That's all right, right? not worry.
0: Seb, thank you as always, and thank you for um your some of your prep there as well, your data analysis as well. Um and um, yeah, thank you everyone as always for watching all of our stuff throughout the the last season, and um, we'll be delighted to have you back with us um for hopefully more optimism and more excitement next season so um until then thanks for (laughs) watching